You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. If you would open up your Bibles to James chapter 1. Last weekend we stepped into a new series. Uh, We're spending about 12 weeks engaged in a study of the New Testament book of James. Uh, The series is called Putting Your Faith to Work. Today, when you came in, in your worship guide, you should have found a card like this. has a series title on it. But on the back side, uh, there's a reading plan. And what we're asking everyone to do throughout this series is that you uh, at home during the week would be reading the, the, the book of James, and then as you read, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about James and what he's directing us by the Holy Spirit before you ever get here, and then there's an overflow of that on the weekend. I had a conversation with someone uh, this past Wednesday night who had been reading along with us and were just so thankful that God was speaking to them even while they were at home before the weekend. Well, um, As a reminder of some of the things that we talked about last week as we began to prepare for this series, we looked at some foundational things, and some of those things were that uh, the James who wrote uh, this New Testament letter is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Um, We find, as we study James, that his approach is a bit different than uh, most other biblical writers. Uh, Others, uh, as they write, they direct us uh, in our walk to God. But what we find is James' approach is to uh, direct us and focus on our walk with God. Uh, The book of James has been called uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. And James helps us understand very clearly what practical Christianity looks like. Um, As you're reading through James and as we study James, we're going to find out that there's not a lot of doctrinal teaching within uh, the letter that he writes. And um, unlike other New Testament writers, he doesn't even really mention his his brother Jesus that much. I was having a conversation with someone this morning and they said, isn't that just like a brother? Doesn't even want to acknowledge, want to say his name. But even though he doesn't mention his name much, what we find is that uh, throughout the words he writes, those words are saturated with the teachings of Jesus. And he particularly draws from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In fact, there are about 15 indirect references to the Sermon on the Mount. So James talks about the fruit of our faith, and he helps us understand what true faith really is. And and this is what he helps us understand. True faith is not just an intellectual head knowledge kind of faith. It's not just knowledge up in our head. But true faith is something that's dropped from our head down in our heart. We embrace it, and because we've embraced it and it's dropped down, it actually affects the way that we live our lives. James is contending that the presence of Jesus in our lives must make a difference in how we live our lives. Uh, James helps us to understand that true faith is seen in how we respond to adversity. That's what we talked about last week, and that's actually what we're going to talk about again today. He helps us to understand that true faith is seen in how we treat other people. Uh, True faith is seen in the words that we speak. True faith is seen in how we handle sin in our own lives. And true faith is seen in how we pray. The message that James delivers is that our Christian faith isn't just something to be believed, but it's something that must be lived out. And when there is no evidence of that faith 
in our lives. When, when there's no evidence of good fruit that flows out from our lives because of the presence of Jesus in our life, and when there's no evidence of goodness flowing out of our life because of the presence of Jesus in our life, then our faith actually faces a credibility crisis. So beyond uh, saying the right things, James is directing us that we must do what the Word directs us to do. Um, And if you think about it, this is one of the many reasons that this is important is that there's a world that's watching. Remember, we talked about this in our Go series. We are are Jesus to, to a world who doesn't know him. And so they're watching our actions and our behaviors. And so when we live out our true faith, they get to see a true picture of Jesus. Last week. We spend our um, attention or our time looking at uh, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And today we're going to finish out the chapter. But before we move on, I want to just take a moment to pray for our time. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's active, that it's alive, that it's the very breath of your spirit. Today we offer ourselves to you. In fact, we surrender to you. We surrender to your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, speak to us, particularly from the message found in James and particularly, specifically, about how we respond to adversity. So uh, we expect today that we will be transformed through and by your word as the Holy Spirit works. And uh, we say amen to this. This is what we want. Amen. Uh, well, uh, I'd like to share a, a personal story about Cammie and I. Um, Cammie and I were married uh, on April 21st of 1984. That was a long time ago. It was 37 years ago. Um, we were madly in love and happy and even more so today, some 37 years later. Um, a few months after we were married, I think probably around November, maybe close to Thanksgiving, uh, we realized that Cammie was having this, um, this ongoing sickness. And it just so happened that that sickness always occurred in the morning. If you haven't figured out what I'm going to say, we found out she was pregnant. She was going to have our first child, and we were so excited. And so we started dreaming and planning and thinking of names and, and all of the stuff you do when you find out, uh, particularly, you're going to have your first child. And so time began to move forward. The, the days turned into months, and eventually the morning sickness passed, and, and her tummy was growing. And now we find ourselves in early spring, month of April, and one day she just made a comment. She said, um, you know, I haven't felt the baby move uh, much lately. And um, I, I, I heard her, but I didn't really think much of it. I think I had some kind of uh, response like, oh, he's just probably hiding up under your ribs or something, as if I knew that that were a thing. Um, and uh, the next day she said, you know, I just, I just haven't felt the baby move. And so I paid a little bit more attention, but tried not to, to panic. And on the third day, as we woke up that morning, she said, you know, I, I think I need to go to the doctor. She said, Something, something's not right. I'm just not feeling the baby move. So we made a phone call. And within a couple of hours, we were in the doctor's office. And sure enough, an ultrasound revealed that there was no heartbeat and that our, our, our baby had, had died in the womb. 
Um, from the doctor's office, we were sent just across the street to uh, Presbyterian, Maine, downtown. And um, after Cami was admitted, they began the process of uh, inducing labor. Um, she was about six months pregnant, so her body really wasn't ready to give birth. So needless to say, um, the labor that she endured was long, and it was hard, and it was painful. And not just physically painful, but it was most emotionally and mentally painful. After many, many, many hours of hard labor, she gave birth to our first son, and we named him Charles Bascom Wilson. He's named after both of our fathers. Um, it was in those hours of being there in the doctor's office, hearing the news that you don't want to hear, that there's no heartbeat, and that your child has died in the womb, and then walking through, particularly for Cammy, that long, intense, painful labor, and then actually being able to see our first son, but he was lifeless. And even being able to hold him, yet he was lifeless. And suddenly our, 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 our dreams were shattered. Um, life just seemed so incredibly impossible that time. And it was in those hours that we entered into what we would consider the greatest season of adversity of our entire life. Now, we all deal with adversity differently. We all deal with grief differently. And so there was a grieving process that we needed to go through because we had lost our child. Uh, Cammie and I moved through that grieving process very differently. And for me, mine was very unhealthy. I was angry. I was angry at everybody and everything. And most unfortunately, I was really mad at God. I was really angry with God. God, you, we prayed. We prayed, and you could have kept this from happening, but you didn't. And so for about 12 months, I lived in very intense anger. And in those months, I disconnected myself from God. God didn't leave me. But because of my anger, I was unable to hear the words that God wanted to speak to me. In those months, God wanted to comfort me. He wanted to heal me. He wanted to just speak to me. And even what we learned last week is in adversity, God uses it. He doesn't cause it, but he allows it. There's a purpose in it, and he uses it to mature us and build us up. And I missed out on that for 12 months because I was, I was angry. Thankfully, with time, I moved beyond that anger and listened to God's voice. But um, there's a very valuable lesson that I've learned since then, a, a great truth. And it's this. The most important thing that I can do in adversity is to stop talking. In other words, stop spewing out my angry words, particularly my angry words to God, to stop talking so that I can listen and hear what God wants to speak to me in the midst of that adversity. It's all about my response. 
It's all about our response. And that's what James continues to deal with in the rest of this chapter. He's already helped us understand that God, again, he doesn't cause the adversity, but he does allow the adversity and he uses it to mature us. Now today, when we look at verses 19 through 27, we're going to learn how we are to respond to adversity. Because James is very clearly going to say, don't respond with anger, but instead respond by listening to my word. Um, Again, we're going to look at nine verses, and the nine verses that we're looking at could really be uh, divided up into three sections. And so I'm going to take an approach somewhat similar to what I did last week. Rather than read the entire passage and then go back and talk about it, I'm just going to read chunks of it. I'm going to read uh, each of the sections at a time. And after each section, um, I want to give you some... um, what I've determined are some main thoughts. In other words, as I was studying this, they said, okay, God, what is James telling us here? And so I pulled these out. And I want to go ahead and tell you, some of the stuff I'm pulling, I pulled out, it's not, in your, it's not in your notes. And so you may want to write, find a place to write in your notes. But, but what are some of the main thoughts, kind of the summary of what James is saying there? And then I actually then want to just look a little bit deeper and look at some of the, some of the specifics that I believe would be relevant for us today. And I'm going to ask some questions along the way. I'm going to ask some questions because really, think about it, the, the, the message that James is teaching throughout is don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So I want to ask some questions that will move us into a place of we've heard the word, now we're faced with what are, what are, we, what are we going to do with it. So follow along. As a, Let me go ahead and say this too. In your teaching notes, um, I'm only going to deal with points one and two. I'm not going to deal with points three and four. Um, so just know that so you're, you're not wondering why didn't he do that. It, it's very intentional because I felt like I was supposed to spend time uh, in, in the earlier part. So follow along as I read uh, verses 19 to 21. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Um, I've already said, you know, you could read this and you think, okay, did James just turn the corner? Did he take us into a new topic, a new theme? And and I've already noted this, but no, he didn't. Remember, he's still continuing on the same topic, how we respond, how true faith responds in times of adversity. So with that in mind, let me tell you the first the first big kind of thought that I pulled out of this from those, those section of verses, and it's this. Don't respond to adversity with anger. Don't respond to adversity with anger. Instead, stop talking and listen. Um, so often, far too often, when we find ourselves surrounded by adversity, our mouths can become like free-flowing faucets. Have you ever, have you ever um, turned on a faucet where the, the, the home or the business or whatever has really strong water pressure, and when you turn it on, you turn it on full force, what happens? It just splashes out of the, with great force, and then it springs up, and it splashes on you. 
Oftentimes, when we find ourselves in adversity, our mouths can be like free-flowing faucets with words just spewing out. And so often those words are rooted in anger. They're blaming words. They're bitter words. They're hostile words. They're hurtful words. They're destructive words. And James' directive to us in this passage is, No, do not do this in times of adversity. Don't spew angry words out in times of adversity. Instead, stop talking and listen. Because God has something He wants to say. If He wants to mature us, if He wants to build us up, then that means He wants to to talk to us. So He says, stop talking and listen. Well, listen to what? Well, James is connecting us back to something. Listen to the Word. How, how, How do we know that? Well, remember, we best understand the meaning of Scripture when we look at Scripture in context. And that's the case here. We best understand the meaning of Scripture when we look at Scripture in context. So uh, in James chapter nineteen, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, he begins, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In the King James Version, which we don't use much these days, uh, but it's, uh, it begins with wherefore. And the word wherefore would be like therefore. And I think we've all learned by this time, anytime you find the word therefore in Scripture, what are you supposed to do? You say, what is it therefore? It's therefore a reason. It's a connector word. And it means um, pay attention to what just happened so you'll fully understand what I'm getting ready to say or what you're getting ready to read. Um, In the Young's literal translation, uh, verse 19 begins with, so then. In the Phillips translation, it, it, it says this, in view of what God has made us then. So the point is, James is connecting us back to something that's already been spoken, that he's already written. And in this case, he's directing us back to verse 18, really verses 17 and 18, but specifically specifically verse 18. In verse 18, it says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And simply put, what James is reminding us of is that salvation, new birth, Becoming a new creation, it all happens because of the word, the word of truth. Anytime we're reading, particularly in the New Testament, and we see that phrase, the word of truth, it's actually referring to the gospel. Uh, What do we read uh, in John chapter 1 about the word? The word was in the beginning. The word is Jesus. And so he's saying, remember, salvation comes through the word of truth or salvation comes through Jesus. And so with that in mind, we could read verse 19 this way. So then, in view of what God has done regarding the word and salvation in times of adversity, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So he's, he's, he's keeping in, in theme here. And he's saying, in times of adversity, don't respond with anger, but instead respond by listening to the word that I want to speak. Why? Well, James tells us human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Have you found that true? Uh, notice it talks about human anger. So it's not saying that 
anger, all anger is bad. There is a righteous anger that can take place. Remember Jesus, when he overturned the tables uh, in the temple, that was a righteous anger. But now he's saying human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Think about times when you've been really angry. Your human anger, not a righteous anger. Was there any damage that was done in that anger? Yeah, in some way, some form. Uh, So here's another thought to pull out. Anger is of no benefit in adversity. It only hinders the right way of living that God desires and that God has planned for us. That's really what James is saying. Anger is of no benefit in adversity. It only hinders the right way. He talks about righteousness, the, 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 the righteousness that God desires. So anger hinders that righteousness or that right way of living that God desires and that he's planned for us. Let's go back to my story. I spent about a year being angry. As I said, I was angry at everybody. And I was angry at everything and Unfortunately, I was angry from God, and my anger disconnected me from God, and it disconnected me from other people. And that anger became an obstacle. That anger became a wall. That anger in that year, that anger produced other stuff, other sin, other hurtful stuff. And so in that, I because of my anger, chose not to live out the right way of living that God desired and that he planned for me. Instead, I was living out at least for 12 months. I was living it out through anger instead of through righteousness. And God wanted to speak to me, but I was too angry to listen. My anger kept me from hearing what God wanted to say to me as he was maturing me. He wanted to mature me in that time, but my anger wouldn't allow him to do that. God, in that time, he wanted to speak words of comfort to me. He wanted to heal my heart. He wanted to assure me of his love. And I was so angry that I blocked it out. I I, I chose to live in anger instead of this righteousness, right way of living. Listen to this. Our bitterness will never make us better. I'm going to say that again. Our bitterness will never make us better. And our human anger will never practice or accomplish the life that God has called us to. Anger, human anger, is destructive. So let me ask you, how do you respond to adversity in times of anger? Uh, in times, how do you respond to adversity? Uh, what's your response? Uh, do you spend more time being angry, blaming God? Or do you stop and do you listen to God? Who talks more when you find yourself in adversity? You or God? Because listen, true faith, and that's what James is trying to help us understand, true, what true faith is. True faith is this. Be slow to speak. In other words, don't speak in anger in times of adversity. Be quick to listen and learn to listen. You know, listening is an art that has to be learned. For most people, it doesn't come naturally. Have you ever encountered someone who was um, very detailed-oriented? Have you ever asked a person like that a question and you realized, oh, no, I'm in for about 15 minutes here. And they won't 
They will tell you every detail down to the color tile on the floor in the grocery store to the color of the label on the soup can. On and on. And you're thinking, come on, just bullet point me here. I don't care about that. And the point I'm making is listening doesn't necessarily come easy. It's something that we have to learn. We have to learn to listen and we have to listen to learn. That's really, that's the focus of what James said. We've got to listen to learn. And when we do speak, our words should be words of thankfulness and trust to God. And the words that we speak to other people should not be hurtful, harmful, destructive words because of our adversity and our anger, but instead they should be words that build other people up. Uh, In verse 21, he says, Get rid of all moral filth and all the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. What's the purpose of this verse? What's the connection to anger and adversity? So here's another big thought. Anger that surfaces in adversity is a symptom of our own dark shadow. Does everybody realize you have a dark part of you? It shouldn't be hard for us to recognize. I mean, there's a, we have this shadow that follows us around. There's, there's, there's within us this, this darkness that wants to make its, its, its way out. So if we go back to my story, my anger was a symptom of something else going on inside of me. You hear that? Anger was the symptom. Anger wasn't the problem. My anger was the evidence of something dark and sinful, a dark, sinful attitude or attitudes that was rooted inside of me. I'm just going to say it this way. There was something filthy in me, and that filth kept me from experiencing God and hearing the word that he wanted to speak to me in that time of adversity. It kept me from hearing. Um, Our anger, listen to this, our anger is a product of other unhealthy stuff that's in us. And this is the directive that James is giving us. So think about this. We understand from James chapter 1 that God allows adversity because he's maturing us. So what happens in adversity is that adversity presses in on us. And what should happen is that dark stuff inside of us, because it's a refining kind of thing, it surfaces to the top. It it, it begins to surface up. And when it surfaces up, we're supposed to do something with it. And James is saying, take it off. Take it off. It's the same kind of talk that the Apostle Paul uses as he writes when he talks about um, take off the old, put on the new. And it's the thought of it's like a garment that you take off. And so as we're in adversity and the adversity is pressing in on us and these impurities within us, the darkness in us begins to surface. Jesus is saying, allow the Holy Spirit to help you take those things off. Have you ever walked through a spider web? Especially with your face. What do you do when you walk through a spider web? What's the first thing you do? You start peeling it off. It feels terrible. It's, it, for me, literally, to walk through a spider web is just like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Listen, it's the same thought here. When, when those impurities rise up in us because of adversity, we should actually be thankful for that. And then we should take them off. We should peel them off. And when we do, 
We're clearing the way to hear the word that God wants to speak to us in that time of adversity. So here's another question. What does your anger in times of adversity reveal about the unhealthy stuff inside of you? What do you need to take off? What do you need to take off? Um, Let's look at another group of verses. Let's look at verses 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away <coughs> Excuse me, and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Um, what is it? that James is saying in these verses. Well, here's another big thought. Don't deceive yourselves into believing that listening to the word is enough. So in times of adversity, God speaks to us, but we're supposed to do something with it. We're supposed to put to practice what we hear. I think today more than ever, especially since the pandemic, Started, we have more opportunity than ever to hear the word being taught. Not only can we come to church, but we can find we can hear the word um, streamed online uh, from from services around the world. Uh, as you remember, there was a time as the pandemic began in, in the last summer. We actually had, or last spring, we had three months where we didn't come together. In other words, we had church online. And I would talk to people. I was so thankful that we could make that change and, and that we could continue teaching the word. I talked to some people. They go, yeah, I listened to five different preachers this morning teaching the word. And that's great. That's, that's great. I'm just making the oppor- this point. We have more opportunity. You can hear it on podcasts, YouTube, television. We just have more opportunity than ever before to hear the word. The danger in this is that we're going to end up with a church full of Fat Christians, fat on the word, but are not exercising the word that they've heard. They're not doing anything with it. I'm going to date myself a little bit. Stacy, you'll remember this. Amy Grant, a long time ago, sang a song, just a fat little baby. Just, just feasting on the word, but not, not doing anything with it. And we have to be sure that we don't allow this to happen to us. So in this verse, James is saying, it's not just enough to, to listen to or feast on the word. If you think it's enough, then you're fooling yourself. You're being deceived. Instead, listen to the word, but then do what it says. And then James provides us with this great picture of what it looks like when we fall into the practice of just listening to the word and not doing it. He said, it's like the person person who looks at themselves in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what they saw, they're they're deceiving themselves. And so um, it made me think of this. It's like I brought brought my prop. I brought my mirror. Um, It would be like this. If if on Sunday morning before I was coming to church, I... uh, I looked into the to the mirror, and when I looked in, I'm, I'm kind of looking at my teeth. It's like, oh, there's a big old piece of lettuce on my teeth from dinner last night. And then I put my mirror down, and I came to church, and I'm talking to people, and then and then I, I I start teaching, and I'm up here teaching with a big old piece of lettuce on my tooth. The point is, I looked in the mirror, I had an opportunity to do something about it, and I didn't do it. 
And James is saying, so often, the, you know, people will look at the word and the word shows them something that's going on in their lives. And then they walk away from the word and they don't do anything about what they said. But then he goes on to say, but those who look intently into the, the, the law are the word that brings freedom. And that word intently would actually mean, uh, it, it, it carries this meaning, it would, that you would bend over. It, it gives that thought of bending over and intently looking into. You know, when we're at home and we're looking in the mirror, we're pretty intent. We, we look and it's like, what's going on here? Oh, there's a gray hair or there's no hair or whatever it is. We, we're very intent. And James is saying that's how we should be looking at the word, that we would look intently into the word because the word brings freedom. It's not a, a list of things to pile on you, but it actually helps you unload. It's a different kind of yoke that Jesus talks about bearing and it brings freedom. And he says, you intently look into the word and it brings us freedom. And then he goes on to say, and those who do that will be blessed by what they do. Just think about the power, the power that comes through the word. Um, Here's another way to state that point. True faith allows God's word to shape who we are and how we live. Um, Transformation comes as we partner hearing the word with putting the word into practice. This is the tension that's really all throughout the book of James. I I talked about this last week, but James is often misunderstood and say, well, James is, 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 is focusing on works. No, James, just like Paul, is focusing on faith. But he's helping us understand that there has to be a balance. We hear the word. We're saved by faith. But that faith is never alone. It it, it comes because of that faith, true faith at work. Good works flow out of us. So, So often we mark up our Bibles, but we don't allow our Bibles to mark us up. And we work very diligently at work trying to master the 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 Bible. But so often we don't allow the Bible, the word to master us because we don't stop to listen and hear the word. We have to make space. We have to make space to listen. So let me ask you this. How word fat are you? Are you exercising the word that's in you? Are you putting it to practice? Um, Are you doing something with the word that you're hearing God speak to you? Let me read the last group of verses, verses 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one self from being polluted by the word. And there's, there's so much. There's just so much in those two verses. But I, I'm gonna, here's what I want to give you. Your mouth and what comes out of your mouth reveals the true condition of your faith. Your mouth and what comes out of your mouth reveals the true condition of your faith. And this is the point that James is making. You can fool yourself into believing that you have true faith because you go to church and you tithe and you go to a small group Bible study, and you serve, and you take food to your neighbor, and you could have a whole list of things that you do. 
And in the midst of doing those things, what's coming out of your mouth? Does what comes out of your mouth represent the presence of Jesus in your life that makes a difference in how you live your life and how you speak? You see, the presence of Jesus in our lives changes the way we speak. I didn't say this in the first service, but when we were pastoring in California, we had a little Scottish lady who, um, who was coming to our church. When she came, she was not a believer. But she would come to these gatherings that we had at our house. They were called Pastor's Chat. And she came because she knew we had good food. And she just wanted to be around other people. And she told us when she came, she said, Don't try to save me because I'm not going to get saved. Well, sure enough, one day Mary, the little Scottish lady, raises her hand in church. And she gives her heart to Jesus. And what we didn't know, we learned later from her friends, is that little Scottish Mary could cuss like a sailor. But the evidence that Jesus was in her life, as her her friend said, she could cuss like a sailor. She doesn't do it anymore. Those words don't come out of her mouth. And so the, the faith that she confessed was being matched by the words that she was speaking. And we have to be careful in our own lives. Are the words we speak, do they match the faith? Do they represent the transformation of Jesus because of the word? So I said this last week, walking through James is quite a challenge. I mean, practical Christianity. But practical Christianity isn't necessarily easy. So we're being confronted with things like our words and our anger. So I presented you with some questions this morning to consider. And I ask that you would throughout this week continue to consider. Talk to God about those things. And if you're in a place of adversity and there's some anger that's going on, ask God to show you, what is that all about? He wants to talk to you. Stop and listen. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the word you spoke through James. It's challenging, Lord, but I pray that we would rise up to the challenge. I pray that we would be a people who not just hear the word, not just be word fat, but we would look intently into your word, especially in the midst of adversity. When the adversity is pressing in and the impurities are rising to the top, that by the work of your Holy Spirit, we would take those things off. We would hear your voice because you're, you're growing us up. You're maturing us. And I pray that for every single person in this room, including myself. Continue to work in us. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, question I ask every week, is there anybody here and you've never said yes to Jesus? You've never entered into a relationship with him? Um, you've never had the opportunity to let the presence of Jesus make a difference in your life. Is there anybody today who just needs to say yes to Jesus? Would you stand? Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great, great week. Our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more. Visit us at gracecovenant.org. 